Eating healthy, living healthy, being healthy. This is the Holistic Keto Goddess Podcast. A podcast focused on holistic wellness and teaching you about incorporating the keto diet and lifestyle changes to achieve an energetic balance. Teaching you how to live now so you don't struggle to live later. And now, your host, Jessica Ankaya. What's up? This is Jessica. I'm so glad you're here tuning into this podcast today. I'm going to be interviewing Amy Berger, who is the author of several books. And she also has a blog called toitnutrition.com. And her most recent book, which she co-authored with Dr. Westman, is called End Your Carb Confusion. And it is now available for purchase. I read that book. It was very good and very inspirational. So for any of you that are looking at starting a keto diet, I would highly recommend reading that book. So anyways, let's get started here. Hi, Amy. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So what inspired you in the first place to do a keto diet? I have been listening to your podcast, which I really like, and I have heard you talk about Dr. Atkins and he's also my inspiration as I did the Atkins diet 12 years ago after I had my first child. And I found that it was very beneficial and it helped me to get rid of the baby weight. And that was before the keto craze just went wild. But anyway, so kind of go into what inspired you and maybe your approach with his style and that, and that sort of thing. This goes back a long, long time. I first found out about low carb in 1998 or 1999. So, so I say low carb because back then nobody called it keto. We called it low carb or we called it the Atkins diet. Right. And what got me into it is that I was heavier and I wasn't living with obesity, but I was heavy and I was heavy despite doing what I thought were all the right things, following what I thought was a healthy diet, putting light margarine on my whole wheat toast in the morning and give milk on my brand cereal and lots of running. I, I wasn't afraid of a workout. I run two marathons, although it's more like very slow jogged two marathons. I wasn't afraid of exercise. And despite all that, I could not lose any weight. And I really spent a long, long time with really poor self-esteem. And that, I mean, that's a whole other issue, the, the weight and the body image, but because feeling like a failure, feeling like I'm working so hard and I'm not getting anywhere, what's wrong with me? It's, it's my fault. I must be missing something or I'm not working hard enough. And finally, I stumbled upon the Atkins diet and I read the book. It was Dr. Atkins' new diet revolution. And it just made sense. Everything he said made sense. And I remember trying it and I joke with people, but it's not really a joke that I'm a huge coffee junkie. And the first time I put heavy cream in my coffee instead of skim milk, it was so rich and luxurious. And I was thinking like, am I going to feel my arteries clogging right now? Or is it going to take some time before I have this heart attack? And long story short, it worked. And I have been eating that way ever since. And well, that's not true. Like many, many people who start a low carb or ketogenic diet, it didn't stick the first time. I was in college when I tried it the first time and I just wasn't ready to make it my permanent way of eating. So I definitely stopped and started a few times before it became my permanent thing. But I've been eating this way now for over 15 years. And when I say eating this way, for me, I'm not always strictly ketogenic. I am always low carb, not yeah. always ultra strict keto. So that means 
every once in a while at the restaurant, I have the bread. Every once in a while, I have some ice cream. For the most part, I'm always low carb. And I'm usually in ketosis just by what I'm eating and not eating, but I don't deliberately aim to be there all the time. I don't count my food. I don't weigh and measure the food, but I don't have any medical issue that makes me need to do that. So that was my start. And really it's unfortunate the way the Atkins diet and the Atkins name has been sort of demonized in the keto world the last few years. People will be like, oh, I'm not doing Atkins. I'm doing keto. Like, Like you understand that the, the newfangled version of keto is the Atkins diet wrapped up in a shiny new package. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that. I've, I've no. encountered that with people too. So it's like, I have to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I read both of your books, The Stall Slayer, which I loved, and Injure Carb Confusion. So in both books, you emphasize counting total carbs as opposed to to net carbs. And in these books, you emphasize staying under a certain total carb threshold in your, in the, in three different phases. Do you think that people can accomplish these same goals by counting net carbs as opposed to total carbs? Like for example, like in phase one, you say stay under 20 total carbs or less. Do you think that they can accomplish the same goal as for ketosis and weight loss if they stand or 25 net carbs or less? So good question. And the answer, like so many answers in health and nutrition is it depends. Some people, yes, some people no. And the 20 total grams of carbs or fewer a day is Dr. Westman's thing, my co-author on end your carb confusion. And he's been researching this stuff for over 20 years. He's been seeing patients in his clinic at Duke University for all this time. And the reason that he keeps it that strict is because that will work for everybody. Just about everybody will be in ketosis eating that tiny amount of carbs, like 20 total grams or fewer. Some people, yeah, some people will be able to have more and still be in ketosis, or even if they're not in ketosis, still be able to lose weight, still be able to lower their blood sugar, improve their blood pressure, all that other good stuff we use as way of eating for. But in his practice, because he sees people from all walks of life, all different, even education levels and understanding of how this works and access to to different foods, he needs to make one recommendation that he can give everybody that works. And then over time, people can experiment and see what else they can do that will still work. So some people will be able to do 20 or 25 net carbs or more and still get the results they want, but just about everybody will be successful when they are super strict. Right. Yeah, no, I gotcha. So say someone's following 20 to 30 total carbs and they've been doing it for a month, but then they have a bad day, like say their period or menopausal day, hot flashes, you you name it. (laughs) On those days, is it okay to allocate maybe a few more carbs during that time? Like for how long should they do that before they get back to the 20 to 30 total carbs or whatever they're following in that phase? Yeah. So again, it depends on what somebody's trying to achieve. If somebody is already happy with their health, happy with their medical situations, happy with their weight, 
they might not even need strict keto and they have the flexibility to have, you know, a couple times a month have higher carb days, or maybe their diet overall is higher. Maybe they are eating 75 grams of carbs a day or something, but it's really an individual thing, how often you can have more carbs and how many carbs you can have and still get the results you want. So there's different methods, you know, if you're really craving sweets or craving carbs, you can do sugar-free versions of all that stuff or keto ver, you know, the almond flour, brownies and cookies. That's gonna get in the way of fat loss for some people, but depending on your medical situation, you know, for example, if you have type two diabetes or PCOS or something, metabolically speaking, you might be better off eating the keto version than the regular, the full sugar and flour version. So even if it's going to maybe interfere with the fat loss process for a couple of days, in terms of your blood sugar and insulin, you might be better off sticking to the coconut flour cake and all that stuff. The other thing is if you're hungry, eat more food, but try to stick to foods that are low carb. So when you have those hard days, don't worry about your calories. Don't worry about the, the M word, which I hate. It's like nails on a chalkboard macros, throw that out the window eat more, but eat more of the good quality meats, eat more of the non-starchy vegetables. So stick to your normal food list, but maybe just don't worry about the quantity of food you're eating. Right. So maybe just for a few days, go up to like 40 or 50 total carbs or 60, what just, yeah. And and give yourself that grace. Like it's not, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You're not going to change your life or your weight overnight. And If this is something that you're going to do forever, Mm -hmm. you have to have room for those occasional days here and there. And and my one warning to women, especially, but men too, mostly women, when you have those higher carb days, do your mental health a favor. Do not, don't you dare step on the scale the next day. Don't you dare. I am telling you, I am prohibiting you from getting on the scale the day after or the day after that, because you will think that you've gained three or four pounds and it's just water. When, when you're on a very, very low carb Mm -hmm. diet, and then you all of a sudden eat a bit more sugar or starch, your body just holds on to water. That's all it is. And because you're going to freak yourself out, regardless, just stay off the scale. Once you get back to your normal lower carb or keto diet, the water is going to go away. You know how this works. This is, this is what we women do. We do. We obsess over the scale. So can you briefly explain different phases in your book and your carb confusion, the most recent book, phase one, two, and three? Yeah, sure. One thing we can say is there's no shortage of keto books out there right now. So it's like, oh, did we really need another book? Except I do think end your carb confusion is really not a keto book. It's why we called it end your carb confusion. Keto is not even in the title. And it's because not everybody needs keto. Not everyone needs a strict ketogenic diet. And so that book helps people identify where on the sort of carbohydrate tolerance spectrum they fall. And we have a checklist where you can actually go through and check off different boxes. And depending on your answers to that little section, it points you toward where you should start. And I'm not going to lie, most people are going to be pointed toward phase one. Some people will be pointed toward some of the higher phases, but the different phases are just different levels of carbohydrate intake. 
Phase one is a strict ketogenic diet. That is 20 total grams a day or fewer, which is, it is very strict. It's not easy, but it's effective. And then phase two is just 50 total or fewer. And phase three is 150 or fewer, which is not, it's definitely not a ketogenic diet. Some people will be in ketosis on phase two, 50 grams, because the 50 grams is a limit to stay under, not necessarily a target to aim for. So if you're in phase two, you might be at 30 or 40 grams. There's a little wiggle room in each of those phases. And we also talk about how to progress from one phase to the next, because I mean, so many people do keto for a, a while, maybe a couple of months or a couple of years, they lose a lot of weight. They reverse some very severe health issues. They feel great. And now it's like, okay, now what do I need to keep eating this way for the rest of my life? Or might there be some flexibility for a little bit of fruit or a little bit of potatoes or beans or something more starchy? And we walk people through how to test that out for yourself, how to gradually add some of that back in so you can still maintain all the benefits you experienced on the really strict phase, but have your diet be a little more varied, but without regaining the weight you lost and without triggering recurrence of all the health issues that you got rid of. That's unique where we're saying like, oh, actually, no, not everyone needs ketosis and fruit isn't actually killing you. (laughs) You There's a lot of um, hyperbole in the keto world right now. and, And we tried to stay away from that. Yeah. So basically if someone was in phase one and they were losing the weight and they were going very steadily at losing this weight in phase one, They could transition to phase two and three and still continue to lose the weight after a period of time. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And we eat as fast and right, right. It'll be, it'll be a little slower or you could do phase one until you get to your goal and then transition. And we also tell people that we, we call it, we call it your permanent home. You could choose to make phase one, your permanent home. And then you just make occasional visits to phase two and three. It's like, I'm just going to stay there for a day or a weekend. And then you go back home. And that's kind of my own diet. I am keto most of the time, but then every now and then I have something more. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do too. (laughs) So another thing that came up and it kind of prompted me to think about this when I was reading your book, what are your thoughts on elevated triglycerides and the correlation with increased carb consumption? Can you explain how the keto diet will help actually physiologically reduce your triglycerides and that carbs are not the bad guys? It's a complicated thing, but one of the most reliable things that we see when people go on a low carb or ketogenic diet is a decrease in the triglyceride level. In fact, high triglycerides or elevated triglycerides are part of the diagnostic criteria for metabolic syndrome, Mm -hmm. which metabolic syndrome basically is chronically high insulin. That's the metabolic syndrome. And one of the most reliable things, you can almost set your watch by it, very predictable that the triglycerides will come down in in most people. Every now and then there's an exception, but it's just, I think it has to do with the way the liver processes certain carbohydrates. We see the same thing in people that drink heavily. Their triglycerides will generally be high and it has to do with the way the liver processes this stuff. I wish I could say more. I mean, are carbs the enemy? No. Usually when people eat a higher carb diet, their cholesterol will decrease 
But the triglyceride, the triglycerides and cholesterol are not the same thing. The cholesterol tends to decrease sometimes in people on a, on a higher carb diet, but the triglycerides will increase. Increase. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that too. Okay, great. The other thing is uh, monitoring your ketones. Do you tend to think that your intestine strips over time use their validity after a certain period of time? I've read certain different sources on, on the internet and it's just kind of conflicting. What is your thoughts on that? And then how often should we monitor our ketones? Yeah, I've heard that. And I've read that, you know, oh, if you've been on keto for a long time, the urine strips don't work anymore. That might be true for some people, but it's definitely not true for everyone because myself and I know several other people that have been keto for a long time and it still works. Like it's not, they don't stop working. I think what might happen, there's a couple of different things. One is that some people just might not be in a deep enough state of ketosis for the urine strip to register. And that's okay because you were saying how often should people test? You don't have to test at all if you don't want to. If you're on a low carb or ketogenic diet, test measuring your ketones is not required at all. If you like the data and you kind of want to see where you are, do it. But you can absolutely be successful. You can lose weight, you can lower your blood sugar, you can do all the good things this way of eating does without ever once knowing what your ketone level is. And people make themselves really nuts over these numbers. I think that's part of it, that there are people who are doing a low carb diet or, and I say the word low carb because people think they're on a ketogenic diet, but they're really not quite where they need to be to be in a true state of ketosis, but they don't have to be. They're getting all the results they want at whatever level of carb restriction they're at. When they pee on the strip, then then they don't see it. Who cares? If you're happy with the results you're getting, it doesn't matter what your ketone level is, right? So the other thing is that the strips, they usually come with an expiration date. And I think as long as they have stayed dry and out of the light, they're probably good for a lot past that date. But if you know for sure that you are in ketosis and they're not registering at all, maybe get a new batch if your bottle is past the expiration date. And the other thing, this is kind of a minor point, but it's something I actually just learned recently. If anyone out there happens to have a jar of those test strips, it has instructions on it. And it says something about pass it through your urine stream and wait 10 or 15 seconds for the color to register. And if, for those who don't know what we're talking about, you can measure ketones in your urine and it's just a little reagent strip. You pee on it and the strip changes color. And that color indicates the concentration of ketones in your urine. And it goes from beige to like light pink, darker pink, all the way to dark purple. Sometimes you'll urinate on it and the color changes immediately. Sometimes it does take several seconds for it to register. And when you're just sitting there on the toilet, 10 seconds, 15 seconds is a lot longer than it sounds like. So I think a lot of people pee on it, look immediately, it doesn't change and they throw it out. When sometimes you really do have to wait. But I think getting back to the the most important answer, I think the most common issue is probably just that people might not be in ketosis and that's okay. This way of eating, depending on the situation, the ketones aren't what makes this diet work. The ketones are the result of the diet. They're the result of breaking down fat. They're the result of all the metabolic processes that are happening. They're not the cause. 
No. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that. Yeah. They have so many different ways to test ketones now. I mean, you have the keto mojo meter and people, people will do that several times a day and, oh, my ketones are 0.3 or millimoles or, and it's like, yeah. just go by the way, like you said, go by your results, what your scale shows, the way you feel. I mean, I usually can tell right away when I'm in ketosis, I have more energy, I'm more optimistic. Yeah. Some, sometimes people, you can tell yeah. sometimes w- without even measuring. And oh, yeah, you, you brought up a good point though, that if you are testing, however you're testing blood, breath, or urine, yeah. it's not steady throughout the day. It fluctuates. So if you only test first thing in the morning and you're disappointed with the number or the color test again, later in the day, like it, it's not a constant number. Yeah. Cause yeah. the morning, sometimes they're lower anyways, after you sleep in the rising cortisol, right? I mean, in, in, yeah, some people, most people it's lower in the morning and it's higher later on, but there's, you know, those, all those paradoxical people that'll be higher. So it's, just from person to person, right? (laughs) Kind of crazy. Great. So what message can you give to people regarding protein consumption? And again, I've seen several different resources that have said, okay, limit your protein consumption. And you're the one that cued me in on don't limit your protein consumption. So I do not do that now. So thank you. (laughs) Good. Well, yeah, protein is a very controversial area in the keto world. And I have a YouTube channel. It's two at nutrition, T-U-I-T nutrition. People can check that out. I just did two videos on this recently. One that was specifically geared toward women on keto because women tend to dramatically under eat protein, dramatically under eat it. And then I did one in general about what what is a high protein diet? And what does that even mean? How do we define high protein? And the reason that people are cautioned to go lower on protein, specifically on ketogenic diets, is that we've heard these things that too much protein can kick you out of ketosis, which again, one of my nails on a chalkboard phrases, or it turns into sugar, right? Like too much protein will spike your blood sugar, spike your insulin, this and that. And the thing is, There are biochemical mechanisms and processes in the body by which those things have some validity. Those are true, but they're irrelevant. It doesn't matter if your main goal is to lose body fat or for most people with type two diabetes, it's a non-issue, even the blood sugar thing. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, maybe. The thing is those processes exist, but that stuff doesn't happen just because you eat a huge piece of chicken or a huge piece of fish or steak. It's amino acids that make up protein can be converted into glucose, but that's a good thing. When you're on a ketogenic diet, glucose isn't poison. There's a reason your blood sugar is never zero. You do need some glucose in your body. And if you're hardly eating any, we better have a way to make some out of something. And so we make some out of some protein and that's normally a good thing. And protein, I I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but Uh, The other thing with it, lowering your ketone levels, again, that also, it will temporarily lower your ketones if you even care what your ketone level is. And that's, that's true for most people, maybe not everyone. And it has to do with the way that protein affects insulin. And I don't want to scare people because people think, and the S word, the spike, protein does not spike insulin. Protein, when you eat protein, It has like this totally normal little physiological rise on insulin. And it's because think of insulin as a blood sugar hormone, but that is only one of like 86 million other things that insulin does in the body. 
one of which is it gets amino acids into your cells, not just glucose. So if you're eating protein, if you're lifting weights, or you just, you know what else comes from protein? Hair, nails, skin, your blood vessels, enzymes, dopamine, thyroid hormone, all of these things are proteins or their primary structure is amino acids. And so if you want those amino acids to get where they need to go and get inside your cells, you better have some insulin when you eat protein. So for people with type one diabetes, or if you have epilepsy or a very brittle, fragile medical situation, you might have to focus on the exact numbers a little more with regard to protein. For most people who are doing this way of eating for overall health or for weight loss or for like metabolic syndrome type stuff, PCOS, hypertension, all that stuff, this is a non-issue. Like we don't have to worry about it. And Getting back to the women, so many women skimping on protein, partly because of these keto issues, but also partly because these dumb women's magazines have told us that we're, we're only supposed to have a portion like the size of a deck of cards or the palm of your hand. And that's nonsense. That comes from nowhere. There's nothing scientific about it. it it's not based in any aspect at all of human physiology or digestion. And I see a lot of women having trouble losing body fat on keto. And it's because they're hungry, but because they're afraid to eat more protein, they think they're not supposed to eat more protein. They limit that and they load up on the fat instead. They have a fat bomb or they put the, the oil and the butter in the coffee. And you know that works for some people, but women are doing themselves a massive disservice by skimping on protein and not just people on, on keto or low carb, like women pretty much on any diet, but definitely I see it in keto. Right. So do you think that people that have cancer or epilepsy that need to go into a deeper ketosis, do you think that they need less protein or are those, those people are the exception for the protein rule you would think for having yeah, the, the cancer thing is very controversial. So I'm just going to say that like, like some people are using ketogenic diets as adjunct therapy, they add it as like a nutritional piece to their yeah. oncology and following their doctor's advice and all that. I do think there might be a rationale for restricting protein in some of those situations. You know, when we talk about the keto, the, the macros that came out of the epilepsy world, keto was not designed as a weight loss diet or a diabetes diet. It was originally an epilepsy diet. And there are some kids who won't have seizure control unless they're at a very, very high ratio of fat compared to protein and carbs combined. So like three to one ratio, four to one ratio. So they do need to keep protein kind of low for, for the rest of us sort of mere mortals who are not in that situation. We, we don't have to worry about it. Okay. All right. Great. That clears up the protein paradox. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's get to one more question. So what is the one message that you can give to someone who's just starting a keto diet and how can it be simplified for them? Like what, what is your recommendation on that? So it, it depends on what their goal is. If their goal, like we've been talking about is mostly just, you know, weight loss and health and that metabolic type stuff. It's so much simpler and less complicated than you probably think it is, right? If you're brand new to this and you've been on YouTube or you've been on Reddit or Twitter or Facebook, you probably think 
that you need to spend a million dollars, you need to have eight different apps, you need to weigh and measure your food, you need to prick your finger 10 times a day, and you don't. Yeah. All you really have to do is keep your carb intake very, very low. That's it. Keep your carbs really low. And guess what? You're on a ketogenic diet. You don't have to use MCT oil. You don't have to put butter in your coffee. We do need to mention though, if you are taking medication for diabetes or high blood pressure, especially if you are on insulin, you have to be supervised by a doctor who understands how this works because let's say your normal diet is 200 grams of carbs a day and you need this much insulin to deal with that carbohydrate load. And then starting tomorrow, you're on keto and you're eating 15 grams of carbs. You cannot take that same dose of insulin that you were taking when you were on orders of magnitude more carbs. You are going to be in a very dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. So you have to know how to adjust your medication safely. And sometimes you have to do this on literally the first day of the diet. Like you can't just do this, you know, two weeks in. So that's the one, the one warning. But other than that, this really is the simplest way to eat. Your food doesn't have to be organic. It doesn't have to be grass fed. If you can afford that stuff, great. Yeah. But if all you can afford is what's on sale at the local discount chain, totally fine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, I think that's wraps it up for today. Um, and thanks so much, Amy, for talking with us. And you can find Amy on her blog at twitnutrition.com. And she also has a YouTube channel. And um, I highly recommend for you to purchase her books. The newest one, like I said earlier, was called In Your Carb Confusion. And she co-authored that with Dr. Eric Westman. And so... That's and we have, can I, can I just tell people about the course real quick? Yeah, go ahead. We have a course coming up. If you are having trouble losing weight on a low carb or ketogenic diet, we have an online class coming up based on my book, the stall slayer, which is dedicated to breaking fat loss stalls on keto or low carb diets. Wonderful. You can find out about that at the website, adaptyourlifeacademy.com. It's really long adaptyourlifeacademy.com. Click on stall slayer and all the information will be there. All right. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Amy. This Thank is you. very informative. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great day. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks. This has been the Holistic Keto Goddess podcast with Jessica Ankaya. Follow the Holistic Keto Goddess on social media like Pinterest, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any questions about today's show or how you can live a healthier life, visit HolisticKetoGoddess.com and go more in-depth with blogs and healthy living resources. Like, share, subscribe, and listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Holistic Keto Goddess Podcast with Jessica Ankaya.